Good to have you here today. If you want to share the reading of God's Word, we're going to get into the Word of God. We're just going to read one verse this morning, found in James chapter 5, verse 16. So James chapter 5, verse 16. When you got it, say amen. amen. James 5.16. James says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. And this is the portion of that text that we have kind of been keying in on last week and this week as well. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And I'm going to stop reading right there, ask you just to bow your heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you for the presence of the Lord that we sense here in the house of God. And I am grateful, Heavenly Father, that you have met with us here today. Thank you for the touch of your Holy Spirit. We come to the reading of your word and the ministry of your word and I, I depend completely, Lord, upon you. I ask that you would touch me here this morning, that you would anoint me with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that you would give me utterance to speak, clarity of thought. And Lord, I pray that you would put your word in my mouth and let it come forth under the anointing of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that you would let it fall upon hearts that are touched of God to both hear and receive in their spirit, in their inner man, and that we will learn and grow and, 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 and be enriched by your word today. Let it be fruitful in our lives. I pray that Christ will be glorified, that the people of God will be edified, and for all of these things. We will be grateful and thankful throughout eternity. And everyone in agreement said amen. amen. So last week we, we started a message that we called the conditions of effective prayer. The conditions of effective prayer. And if you were with us last week, then you know that we began that series. And the scripture that we used is verse number 16 here in James chapter 5. And James declares that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The passionate prayer, the fiery prayer, the fervent prayer of a righteous man, an individual that is in right standing with God, avails much. As we discussed last Sunday, we know that God answers prayer because we can look through the Word of God and we can find example after example of people that have prayed and God intervened and God doing the impossible because of someone's prayers. We know that there is power in prayer because we ourselves, on a personal level, have experienced the power of God when we called upon the name of the Lord and reached out to him, we were touched by his power through prayer. 
We know that God has instructed us to pray. The scripture teaches us that we are to pray. And as we asked the question last week, so why are there times that we feel like our prayers go unanswered? Why are there times that we pray seemingly and the answer does not come? I offered to you last week six principles that I feel like the Holy Spirit laid upon my heart that if we would apply them, then they would help us to be more effective in our prayer life. Those, for those of you that weren't here last Sunday, if I can, just real quickly, let me just recap those six principles. I don't want to re-preach it, just... Let me, let me just share real quickly with some of you that were maybe not here. The first principle that we talked about was we need to pray in relationship with God. We need to pray, meaning that we need to have a covenant relationship with God. If we are going to experience fruitful and successful prayer, then we need to understand that relationship with God is the key that gives us access to God. So we need to pray in relationship, in covenant relationship with God. Secondly, we learn that we need to pray according to his will. We're often very willing to pray our will be done, but we need to pray his will. Scripture tells us that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, the Bible said, then whatsoever we ask of him, we know that we have of him because he hears us when we pray according to his will. Pastor Gary, how do we know the will of God? How can we know what his will is? How can we know what his will is? Can I tell you this morning that his word is his will? His, wor his word is his will revealed to us. If God says that I will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory, then we can confidently pray for God to meet our needs. If God says, I am the Lord that healeth thee, then we can confidently believe for spiritual healing, emotional healing, physical healing, financial healing, all of which are completely revealed as God's will in his word. Amen. If God says that no weapon that is formed against you will be able to prosper, then we can confidently walk, amen, in confidence knowing that there is no attack of the enemy that will be successful against us. God says weeping may endure for a night, but that wasn't the end of the verse. He said joy comes in the morning so we can confidently look for the sunshine after the rain. His word is his will. So when we want to pray according to the will of God, latch on to a promise. Latch on to the word. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, 
Walk into the word, and that word will give you faith and confidence to pray, to receive. We learn that we need to pray in the name of Jesus. It is his name that moves heaven and earth. We learn that we need to pray in faith, believing, nothing wavering. James said that if we ask in wavering faith, he said, let not that man think that he will receive anything. So if we are praying in wavering faith, we are praying for naught. We learn that we should pray with persistence. We learn that we should keep coming, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep asking, and keep believing, and just keep right on bombarding the throne of heaven for our desires and our needs. We are to be persistent. And finally, we learned last week that we should pray according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. When we don't know how to pray as we ought to, we ought to lean on the Holy Spirit to intercede in us and through us with groanings and with utterances that our carnal mind can't even understand. Allow the Holy Spirit to move in us and pray through us the will of God. Six things. Pray in relationship with God. Pray according to the will of God. Pray in the name of Jesus. Pray in faith. Pray in persistence. And pray with the leading of the Holy Spirit. If we apply those principles, God will cause us to have an effective prayer life. Our prayer life will become more and more effective. This morning, I want to take up where we left off last week. And I want to continue that train of thought about having an effective prayer life. And this morning, I want to talk about obstructions or obstacles that will come to hinder when we pray. We talked about principles that we could apply to help us have a more effective prayer life. I think that we also need to be aware that the enemy is going to give us some obstacles along the way, some obstructions in order to hinder us from having a fruitful prayer life. Amen. How many of you know what happens when there is a power failure? Things that run on electricity cease to operate correctly. Well, do you know that you can have a power failure in the realm of the spirit because of certain hindrances? And when there is a spiritual power failure, your prayer life is not going to operate as it should. So with that in mind this morning, I want to give you some things that the Holy Spirit has laid upon my heart through this past week about hindrances that hinder us from having an, an effective or a fruitful prayer life. The first thing that I want to talk to you about this morning is the first hindrance that the Holy Spirit kind of spoke to my heart about was motive. Motive. What is it that motivates us to pray for the things that we pray for? James chapter 4 and verse number 3, this is what James says. He says, ye ask and you receive not. He said, you ask and you receive not. That's pretty clear, isn't it? You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. 
that you may consume it upon your own lusts. What James is telling us is that when we pray sometimes, we pray, amen, uh, uh, with a negative motive. What he's telling us is that we need to be aware of the motive that's in our heart when we pray. He said, you, you ask and you are not receiving because you ask amiss. You ask amiss to consume it upon your own pleasure, your own lusts. You ask with an ulterior motive in mind. James 4.3 in the God's Word translation says, When you pray for things, you do not get them because you want them for the wrong reason. For your own pleasure. This verse is revealing to us that we are to uh, be praying for things that will edify the body of Christ and things that will bring glory to God. And we are to be praying for things that will exalt uh, the name of the Lord Jesus and not just the things that will feather our own nest. If we're honest with ourselves, Often when we pray, we pray with a selfish motive. Oh, not me, Pastor Gary. Oh, yes, you. <laughs> I'm reminded of the story of the little boy that I read sometime back. He had a day off from school because there was a snow day. And when he went back to school, his teacher said, What did you do with your day? He said, I prayed for more snow. The college girl who prayed, Lord, I'm not asking this prayer for myself, but please send my mother a strong, handsome Christian son-in-law. <laughs> right? How many of you remember the Janis Joplin song? The Janis Joplin song. She prayed, Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? My, my friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. Worked hard all my life with no help from my friends. So, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? <laughs> Do you think she had an ulterior motive in mind? I was sitting at my desk and I said, Lord, I shouldn't do that. I, re I really shouldn't do that. But it's a great illustration. <laughs> Suppose that I prayed. Suppose that I prayed, Lord, just cause Elevation Worship Center to explode at the seams. Send people from far and near and just let, I mean, let the place just be packed out. Let the Holy Spirit of God just fall and just let it just absolutely packed out. And, and the whole time I'm praying that, 
I'm thinking about tithe money and I'm thinking about prestige in the community and I'm thinking about somebody patting me on the back saying, boy, that preacher, amen, he's really got a crowd down there at that house. Do you think my motive would be correct? No. Ain't nothing wrong with praying, Lord, send us souls for the kingdom of God. Lord, pack the place out, amen, with people that are hungry for Jesus. But let it be for your glory and nobody else. Hmm. Amen. We need to watch our motive when we pray. Our motive sometimes hinders God moving on our behalf. One of the greatest hindrances to our prayer is that attitude of, Lord, take care of me and mine. Take care of me and mine. I'm not all that concerned about them and theirs, but take care of me and mine. I mean, you know, we need to be concerned about the them and theirs too. Amen. Be careful of the motive when we pray with a selfish motive or, or that kind of an attitude. James is telling us that we ask amiss so that we can consume it upon our own lusts. He's telling us that we are asking with an ulterior motive or a wrong motive. He's telling us, amen, that we need to reevaluate what's really in our heart. Let me, let me just share something with you. Think about it for a moment. When the early church in the book of Acts prayed, they received power and God received the glory. Amen. You hear what I'm saying? When the early church in the book of Acts prayed, they received power and God got the glory. When the early church, amen, prayed, the Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost. Amen. When the early church prayed, the city was shaken and the word of God was proclaimed with boldness in the streets of Jerusalem. When the early church prayed, Peter's chains fell off as he was setting in jail and an angel led him out past the gate and loosed him and let him go. When the early church prayed, Paul and Silas sitting in a jailhouse bound, amen, in chains, God sent an earthquake and shook the jailhouse and broke the chains, opened the gates and set them free. Mm. And now less than 30 years later, James has to tell the church that they don't receive answers to their prayers because they do not pray. And when they do pray, they don't get the answer because they ask with the wrong motive. Something wrong with that picture, can you say amen? So understand that a selfish Motive will hinder and paralyze our prayer life. Be careful what motivates you to pray for what you pray for. Amen. Make sure that your prayer is so that God receives the glory. That God receives the praise. That God receives the honor from what he is doing in our lives. The second motive or the second thing that hinders our prayers can be found in Psalms chapter 66 and verse 18. This is what the psalmist says. 
He says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear my prayer. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 29 says these words. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2. This is what God said. But your iniquities, your sin, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you so that he will not hear you. One of the things that hinders our prayer and hinders our life of prayer, amen, from being effective or fruitful is secret sin. Sin in our heart. If I, if I regard iniquity, the psalmist says, what does that mean if I regard iniquity? If I've known that it was there and I encouraged it. If I pretended to be what I am not. If I love iniquity and at the same time profess to pray. Amen. That word regard means to esteem. Have an affection for. To observe. To make room for in our life. To cherish. To amen. make an alibi for sin. To give an excuse for sin. To try to cover up my sin. If I regard it, if I hold it close into my heart, God says, I will not hear your prayer. I wonder how many times we have prayed and did not receive the answer because we were regarding something in our heart that God had instructed us to turn loose of. Uh, I, know, I know you don't want to shout about that part, but that's really good. So here's a couple of questions we need to ask ourselves. Do we have any unconfessed sin in our life? Am I, currently, am I currently walking in obedience to God's word? Let me just share something with you. If you know to do good and you don't do it, the Bible said that is sin. So if you know to do good and you don't do it, that's sin. And if you know to do good and don't do it and keep not doing it, you are regarding iniquity in your heart. And God says, I will not hear you. I know that's rough. But it's the truth. The Bible said you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. If you want to have a more effective prayer life and a more fruitful prayer life, amen, then ask yourself the question, am I walking in all of the light that God has revealed to me? And if I'm not, then I need to repent and get back up and go again. Hmm. Unrepented sin or a regard for sin in our lives will always hinder our prayer life. And I'll show you why. Because when, we know, because when we know that we have sin in our heart or in our life, and we go to God, and we're like, Father, I need you to, and all the while you're like, I hope you don't know that's there. And he already knows. 
So when you go to him, you don't have confidence. And when you ask of him, you are asking in wavering faith. And James said, let not that man think that he will receive anything. So if you go to the Lord in prayer, and, and the first thing that is in your mind is, uh, I hope that door stay closed, then you have already got a problem. You need to fling that door wide open and invite the Lord in. Say, God, I need you to help me with this area of my life. Unre unrepented sin and un unregard for sin will hinder us from praying effectively. The third thing that the Holy Spirit placed on my heart is the third hindrance to our prayers is unbelief. Unbelief. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6, this is what the word of God says. Amen. But without faith, it is impossible to, to please him. For he that comes to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God is saying that if we are going to reap the rewards of our prayers, then we must have faith and we must come to him believing. It is important that we remove the hindrance of doubt and unbelief because doubt and unbelief will keep us from receiving from God. Let me just share some scriptures with you. Mark chapter 1, verse number 14 through verse number 15. These are the first words that Jesus came preaching. It's found in Mark 1, 14 and 15. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Believe the God. It's a requirement. Believe the gospel. Mark 5 and 26. Jesus said, be not afraid. Only believe. Mark chapter 9 and verse number 23 said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to them that believes. Amen. John chapter 20 or chapter 6 and verse 28. The disciples come to him and said, Lord, what must we do to work the works of God and Jesus said unto them this is the work of God that you believe on him that amen whom he has sent in other words the very work of God starts with belief and if we if we waver in our belief it's going to hinder us when we pray Jesus said to Mary and Martha in John chapter 11, verse 40, Did not I say unto you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Let me just tell you this morning, if you will have faith in God and simply believe, you will see the manifestation of the Spirit of God in your prayer life, and you will begin to see the prayers that you pray answered because of your faith and belief in God. Timothy, amen, 1 Timothy 2 and 8, Paul said, I would that men everywhere would pray and lift up holy hands without anger and without doubting. 
In other words, when you go to him in prayer, amen, don't have doubt and fear and unbelief in your heart. But when you go to him in prayer, amen, go to him in confidence, knowing that he is God Almighty and the creator of the universe and that there is nothing that he cannot do. Hallelujah. If he can rain four tons of bread out of heaven every day for the children of Israel in the wilderness and supply a mil- or 11 million gallons of water every day for nearly 4 million Israelites, he can take care of you. He's got you covered. Mark chapter 11, verse 24, Jesus said, Therefore, I say unto you that whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, let me just ask you a question this morning. When did you actually get it? When you believe. That's, that's what the scripture says. Mark chapter eleven twenty four. 24. Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, when you pray, Believe you receive them, and you shall have them. Let me just tell you what I'm, what I'm trying to get across. When you believe, it may not be here yet, but you already got it. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. It may not be manifest in the realm of the natural yet, but if you already got it down here, there ain't anything that can keep it from manifesting out here. Believe. When you pray, believe. Do you believe after you get it? No. Got the cart before the horse. Amen. When do you get it? When you pray. Believe you receive it. When you pray. And when you believe it, when you pray, you shall have it. You understand what I'm saying? It may take a while for it to get manifested out here. But ain't nobody going to tell me I ain't got it because I got it in here. I already got it down in my spirit. I'm just, I'm calling those things that are not as though they were. And it will eventually come. Hmm. Hallelujah. We have to believe. One of the most tragic verses in God's word is found in Psalms chapter 78 verse 40 and verse 41. This is what it says. Psalm 78, verse 40 and verse 41. How often did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Talking about the children of Israel. Grieving and provoking God. How often did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Verse 41. Yea, they turned back and they tempted God. And they limited the Holy One of Israel. Now exactly what does that mean? The psalmist is recalling the day when they got to the banks of the Jordan River. And God said, you can go in, it's yours. And they sent 12 spies over, came back and said, there are giants over there. And there ain't no way we can have what God said we can have. And they turned around and refused to go in. They turned back and they tempted God and they limited 
the Holy One of Israel. They limited what God could do and would do and would have done in their life. Can I just tell you that often we do the very same thing through our doubt and our unbelief. They limited the work of God and refused to believe. They limited his power in their lives because of unbelief. Unbelief will always, always hinder our prayers. The fourth thing that the Lord laid upon my heart for me to bring to you this morning that hinders our prayer life is an unforgiving spirit. An unforgiving spirit. If we have unforgiveness toward others, then it will hinder us when we pray. Jesus said these words in Mark chapter 11, verse 25 and verse 26. He said, when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, that your Father which is in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Hmm. Colossians 3, 13, Paul said, Forbearing one another, forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against another, even as Christ forgave you, then so also do ye. If God has forgiven you, then you are expected to forgive others. One of the greatest hindrances to our prayers is resentment towards somebody else. I don't like what they did to me. I don't like what they said about me. I don't like how they treated me. Can I just give you some advice? Like water off a duck's back. Just go right on with the Lord. Let the Lord deal with them. And you just keep a sweet spirit in your heart. Amen. Amen. Over and over again, when Jesus talks about prayer in the scripture, he always mentions forgiveness. And the reason that he does that is because there is nothing that will kill our prayer life faster than resentment and bitterness. I'll tell you why. Because instead of having a prayerful attitude, we're always running around with, amen, the thought in our mind and chewing on what we should have said and what we could have done. And if I see them again, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. And the longer we chew on it, the bigger it gets. The longer we chew on it, the more it just invades our heart. The longer we chew on it, the deeper that root of bitterness becomes. And the more effective it is in hindering our life of prayer. When we hold a grudge, when we nurse ill feelings, when we allow bitterness to grow, it blocks our prayers from being answered. I submit to you this morning that there is no use of praying if we have bitterness and anger and resentment in our heart toward another child of God. And Jesus said, if you have aught in your heart, then go to him and try to make it right. What happens, Pastor Gary, if they won't help you make it right? You've done your part. Keep moving on. Hello? Mm. 
When Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, this is what he said. Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In essence, he's saying, God, I want you to forgive me to the extent that I have forgiven everybody else. What if God forgave you the way you have forgiven others? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Uh, bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness will block our prayer lives. We cannot have unforgiveness in our heart and expect to receive. It is a hindrance of the enemy. Recognize it for what it is. The fifth thing that the Lord laid upon my heart, I got about 10 minutes, I got to hurry. The fifth thing that the Lord laid upon my heart is when we, that will hinder our prayer, is impatience. How many of you know we live in a world that wants it and we want it right now? Well, let me just tell you something. You may not always get it right now. You may have to wait a while. Do you remember when God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a son? Abraham said that this Eleazar is, is heir to everything in my house. God said, no, 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 no. That ain't it. I'm going to give you a son out of your own loins. He said, are you serious? Sarah is way too old for this stuff. <laughs> are you out of your mind? God said, I'm going to give you a son. Abraham said, all right, Lord. Do you know how long it took for the Lord to bring that promise to pass? 24 years. 24 years. But you know what the Bible says about Abraham? Amen. The Bible said about Abraham in the book of Romans, it said that he staggered not at the promise of God. Amen. He realized he was getting older. He realized uh, that Sarah was getting older. He realized uh, that the opportunity for this thing to come to pass was just too far out there. But he did not stagger at the promise of God. He said, I don't care what it looks like. I believe what God said. And if I have to wait till I fall over in ashes and God raises me back up, God's going to meet my amen promise. Amen. Let me just share some scriptures with you. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12 said that you be not slothful, but be followers of them who, who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Hebrews 10 36. He said, for you have need of patience. After that, you have done the will of God that you might receive the promise. You have need of patience. How many ever told your children, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take you to Mickey D's. We're going to go down to Arctic Circle and get a courtesy cone. <laughs> and they were like, are we going to go yet? Are we going to go yet? Are we going to go yet? Are we going to go now? How about now? Are we going to go now? Are we going to just, hey, hang on. 
That's God, and that's us. How about now? Are you going to do it now? Are you going to do it now? Huh? How about now? Dad, 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 dad. How about now? He said, you have need of patience. It, it's not that God ain't going to do it. It's that it just ain't time yet. When my, when my youngest son was here, D Dusty, when, when he was a little boy, we had a little, we had a little uh, box outside in the yard where we had strawberries. <laughs> and, and I would catch Dusty out there in the middle of the strawberry patch, just a little bitty guy. And if there was the slightest hint of red on a berry, he was picking it and eating it. I'm like, boy, leave them alone. Just leave it. Let them be. It ain't time yet. It's not that I didn't want him to enjoy the strawberries. I just knew that it wasn't time yet. That's God. Amen. God, God answers prayer often with yes and, and, and no, and then sometimes he says yes, but not right now. Just hang on. And we have to have some patience in order to be fruitful in prayer. Impatience will rob us of what God wants to do in our life. Abraham prevailed because of his patience. Jacob prevailed because he would not let go of the angel and he just continued to wait upon God. Elijah prevailed on the top of Mount Carmel because he continued to pray for rain when there was no sight of rain. Elisha prevailed because when he followed Elijah around, amen, Elijah said, go back home. And Elijah or Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as thy soul lives, I will not leave you. I don't care how far I have to follow you I don't care how long I have to follow you I'm going to get a double portion of what God has put upon your life amen the widow prevailed that we talked about last week about her persistence she, she prevailed because of her patience and her insistence impatience is a prayer killer how many of you here this morning sometimes get impatient waiting on God? You're, you're hindering your own prayer. Impatience kills prayer. The, the, the sixth thing that the Lord put upon my heart is disharmony in the home. Disharmony in the home. Turn with me, if you will. Turn with me, if you will, over to 1 Peter chapter 3. I want to read some scripture. So the sixth thing is disharmony in our home. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Did you realize that the Bible teaches that when we have discord and disharmony in our home, that it will block our prayers from being answered. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through verse number 7. I'm going to read all of that. And I'm going to read it from the God's Word translation. And this is what it says. Wives, in a similar way, 
Place yourselves under your husband's authority. And a lot of people want to go, mm, I, 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 I stop right there. <laughs> well, let me just tell you, God won't give you what you need and, and bless you in your prayer life if you ain't in your place. Submit yourselves unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You have to be in your place in order to, amen, put the enemy in his place. You have to be in your place to receive what God wants, amen, for you to have. So he says, wives, place yourself under your husband's authority. Some husbands may not obey God's word, but their wives could win these men for Christ by the way that they live without even saying anything. Just their simple testimony. Their husbands would see how pure and reverent their lives are. And then he says, wives must not let their beauty be something external. Beauty does not come from hairstyles, gold, jewelry, and clothes, although it don't hurt. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> but he said rather beauty is something internal that cannot be destroyed my grandmother used to always say that pretty is as pretty does hello yeah pretty is as pretty does so he's saying wives your beauty is not you know with hairstyles and gold and clothes and jewelry but your beauty is internal Beauty is expressed in itself in a gentle and quiet attitude which God considers precious. After all, this is how women of hold, oh, holy women who had confidence in God expressed their beauty in the past. They placed themselves under their husband's authority. As did Sarah. Sarah obeyed Abraham and spoke to him respectfully. You become, you have become Sarah's daughters, by not letting anything make you afraid to do that which is good. And then he says, husbands, in a similar way, live with your wives with understanding since they are weaker than you are. And he's not talking about spiritually or morally or mentally. He's just talking about that most of the time men are more physically strong than women. He says, understand, since they are weaker than you, honor the wives as those who share God's life-giving kindness. And here's why he wants the woman to be in her place and the man to be in his place. So that nothing will interfere with your prayers. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. So we could get hung up on a lot of stuff in there, but first let me just point out that Peter does not suggest that women are weaker mentally, morally, spiritually, but usually they are weaker physically. And because of that, he says, women, you are to respectfully submit to your husband's authority, and husbands, you are to treat your wives like they are a precious, beautiful treasure. You are to treat your wives with the utmost care and courtesy. He's saying that we are to give honor to each other and treat one another with a mutual respect and a mutual 
courtesy. He's saying, do not live your lives in such a manner that your prayers would be hindered. Don't allow resentments to grow in your home or in your relationship. Don't allow the root of bitterness to get planted in some petty disagreement. Don't allow the sun to go down on your wrath. Don't allow other things and other people come between you and your spouse. And that includes family. Amen, Pastor Gary. He's saying, husbands and wives, that you are joint heirs together of the grace of God. If the wife shows her submission and the husband shows consideration and if they both submit to the will of God and they both submit to Christ and follow his example, then the home will exist in harmony. A lot of people get hung up on the wives submitting to the authority of the husband. Well, let me just tell you, the wife has a responsibility to submit herself to the authority of the husband. And the husband has a responsibility to submit his life to the authority of the almighty God. And some husbands read that and they think they're a little Napoleon running around barking out orders. Give me a glass of tea. Wrong concept, Bubba. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. <laughs> Wrong concept. No. If there is not order, there is chaos. What is the opposite of order? Chaos. God said, I want there to be I want there to be unity and I want there to be order. God is not the author of confusion. He does everything in decency and in order. And he said, the woman submits to the husband and the husband needs to submit to my authority. And when we, amen, when we all get in our place, our prayers are not hindered. But I'm going to tell you something. When somebody hops out of place, you are putting up a roadblock to your prayer. You're putting up a roadblock to your prayers. I'm, I'm praying about this, how I'm going to preach that section of scripture. And the Lord, I believe, gave me five questions that we need to answer all of us when it comes to our relationship with our spouse. If we're experiencing unanswered prayer, could it be that we are living in chaos or out of order with God's plan? So here's some questions that I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me. Based on what Peter wrote, are we partners or competitors? Are we partners or competitors? Are we helping each other become more spiritual and helping each other draw closer to God? Or are we drawing one another away? Are we making it more difficult? Are we sensitive to each other's feelings and ideas? And are we, amen, are we treating one another with courtesy and kindness? Or are we taking one another for granted? Are we enriched because of our marriage and our union? Or are we robbing each other 
of God's blessings. Let me share something with you. When Jesus spoke of marriage, this is what he said. Mark chapter 10, verse number 6. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. And the two shall be made one flesh. So then they are no more two, but they shall be one flesh. Now this is what Jesus also taught in Mark chapter 3, verse number 24. He said, if a kingdom is divided against itself, it cannot stand. If I am at odds with my wife, I am at odds with myself. We are one. We are one. If I am at odds with her and the, the household is divided, then there's not going to be any effective or fruitful prayer in the household. A kingdom, a household that is divided against itself. Jesus said a house that is divided against itself cannot stand. I submit to you this morning that a home that is divided against itself and a marital relationship that is divided against itself will not be able to stand either. So treat one another with kindness, with love, with respect, honoring God and honoring the place where God has placed you. And you will tear down a roadblock for prayer. So let me go through those again this morning if I can. Our motive will hinder. Secret sin will hinder. Unbelief will hinder. Unforgiving spirit will hinder. Impatience will hinder. Disharmony in the home will hinder. One more and I'm going to close. The seventh thing and the final thing that I believe the scripture points out that is if we refuse to see the needs of others, if we refuse to see the needs of others, we will hinder our prayer life. This is what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 21, verse number 13. Whoever stops his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself and not be heard. Hmm. Proverbs 21, 13 in the God's word says, whoever shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will call, but he won't get an answer. But he won't get an answer. A man or a woman who's hard, who, who hardens their heart against the, the misfortune of others, a man or a woman who hardens their heart toward the poor is going to reap what they've sown. Proverbs 14 and 30, 31 says, He that oppresses the poor reproaches his master. He that oppresses the poor reproaches his master. But he that honors him, the master, has mercy upon the poor. 
Proverbs chapter 17, verse 5, Whosoever shall make fun of the poor person insults his maker, but whoever is happy, or whoever, whosoever is happy to see someone else's distresses will not escape their own punishment. What he's saying is that if we're not generous toward others, if we're not generous toward others, then God is going to throw up a roadblock to our prayer. Now, let me just share something with you. I, I saw on the lady's Facebook page, someone had put out a post that there was an individual that was in need, had, had suffered some physical abuse and had got away from the one that was abusing her but was now going on her own and didn't have any, any household furniture, didn't have anything, didn't didn't have anything to begin with. They have an apartment, but they have nothing to put in it. Said, is there any of you folks that has some extra things that uh, you might be able to turn loose of to help them? I read that one day and watched the, the post for a couple of days, and my wife and I had sent some things along, and, and then the individual that had placed that original post said, I am blown away at the generosity of our church family. They hauled an SUV full of stuff over there to that woman and her children. And there are more things that people were like, I, I've got this and I've got that. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being generous to those that find themselves in need. God takes notice of that. God takes notice of that. And if we shut up our bowels of compassion, if we shut up our heart, and we are just stingy and selfish with the things that we have, then I'm going to tell you something. We will die just like the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea does not have an outlet. It only has an inlet, and everything gets trapped right in it. But it is deader than a doornail. You want to have life? Carve an outlet and give. Be a giver, and God will see. If he can get it through you, he will get it to you. Amen? If he can get it through you, he, can, he will get it to you. My dad told a story years ago. He had just got out of the army and began preaching the gospel, and he didn't have a car. He hitchhiked from Winters, California, to uh, Arizona, Coolidge, Arizona, to preach a revival. When he finished that revival, he had a brand new car. The people had blessed him, and they went out and got him a brand new car. The revival was like six, seven weeks. I don't know. They, uh, and, and Dad said, I'm driving that brand new car back to Winters, California. And he said, I stopped at a little cafe and sat down at the counter and got a cup of coffee and said there was a little waitress in there and said, boy, she was telling me about how she goes and picks up children for Sunday school and takes them to church. And she was so excited about her Sunday school class and gathering little ones. And if I had an automobile, I could get more. And God said, I want you to give her that new car. <laughs> My dad said, I told God I just got that new car. Excuse me, you just blessed me with that new car. And God said, no, you were just the avenue to get it here. That's her car. My dad said, I walked out to the, he said, I walked out to the car, opened the jockey box and pulled out the pink slip and wrote my name on it and walked back in and said, here, God told me to give you this. 
He broke down in tears. She broke down in tears. I'm saying if God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. You won't lack in the middle. I promise you that. I promise you that. Amen. Our motives, sin in our lives, unbelief, unforgiving spirit, impatience, disharmony in the home, and refusing to hear the cry of those who are misfortune. Bow your heads, if you will, please. All of these things can bring hindrance into our prayer life. All of these things can bring hindrance and keep us from enjoying answered prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, I've, I've spoke what I feel like you encouraged me to speak upon. And now, Lord, it, it's in your hands and in the hearts of your people. Father, I ask this morning if there is an area of our life where we have a roadblock or a hindrance that is keeping us from receiving an answer to prayer, reveal that to us. Speak to us about that this morning. Possibly we are not being as generous as we could. Possibly we are at disharmony with our spouse. Possibly, Lord, we're not as patient as we should be. On and on and on we could go. Whatever, Father, that, that hindrance is, reveal that to us. That that roadblock may come down. That we can enter into the throne room of God boldly with confidence and faith and assurance that our answer is on the way. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you would be willing to say, I've got a couple of roadblocks up that I didn't even know I had. Yeah, the Lord sees those hands. The Lord sees those hands and those and those and those and those. And that hand, and that hand, and that hand, and this hand. How many of you know sometimes that it's really difficult for the pastor to preach something that, you know, kind of cuts to the heart like that? But here's what the Lord spoke to my heart about it all. If we want freedom... Freedom comes with responsibility. The responsibility to do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. If we want freedom, then it's truth that makes us free. Hands have been lifted all over the building. Please stand. Heavenly Father, I want to pray with those that lifted their hands. Lord, I know that the enemy can subtly so very subtly put up a roadblock and a hindrance. And it is only because of your goodness that you bring it to our attention. You desire for us to be more fruitful and more successful when we pray. And therefore you have pointed out our positions of need. 
And now, Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to do something about it. From this moment forward, as we move on, let us be more mindful. Let us be more careful. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring back the words that you've spoken to us in a moment, in a timely manner. When the enemy would try to bring up that hindrance again. Set us free. I pray and I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come and sing.